If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to go to two places again like we did last week. Put a finger in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to kind of scan through the book of Proverbs together. And then we're going to end at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you go to Proverbs first and then to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's where the passage we will look at to set up our time of communion together. We have been looking at this idea of God and social media. It's on the cover of your bulletin. It's, we want to know what does the Bible say about this. And, and it's very rare for me last week and this week to do what's called a topical sermon. When I get back from British Columbia, we're going to get right back into 1 Timothy chapter 5 and finish up 1 Timothy, looking at chapter 5 and 6. Then there's a lot of stuff going on through the summer in September My plan is to start us in the Gospel of John as we look at conversations with Christ. It is the Gospel where more words of Jesus are used anywhere, and He has more conversations with all kinds of different people that are all represented by everybody in this room. So that's the game plan for 2016. But I wanted to deal with a very current event, something that we all deal with and something that I see often on display in my own life, the life of all of you, and in a politically charged world, in a world of internet and technology, as I said last week, where news is not just on a 24-hour cycle, I would suggest it goes by hour by hour. You can make a tweet or send out a text, and before you know it, it's gone around the world. And it's interesting to me because people will uh, listen to the spur of the moment of their emotions, tweet something out, text something out, put on a Facebook status, look at it, realize maybe that's not good or uh, appropriate, try and take it back, but somebody has already grabbed it. And then it becomes news about your tweet or your text that you put out and took back. And then everybody starts to analyze your character and your motives and all of these types of things. So I think it's important for us as Christians here in the church What does the Bible say? What does God say about social media? So last week, we looked at some don'ts. But I want to ask you this as I get this. Really wrestle with these two questions. And all of you here represented. How many of your lives, of the lives of people you know, how many of their lives or how many relationships you claim to have would radically change If you didn't have a cell phone or email or access to the internet, how many friendships do you have, how many relationships do you have that would be radically changed if you didn't have access to your cell phone or to Twitter or Facebook or to the internet? How many of us, if we were honest, struggle with being fully present in the moment with the people we're with Because we're distracted by our cell phone, our iPhone, our iPods, our iPads, or our tablets, whatever it might be. You've seen all this everywhere. You see it now wherever you go. In the mall, I've had people run into me at the mall because they're doing this. You've seen funny videos of people running into street signs, tripping over sidewalks, going past things. Then there's the tragedy of all of the car accidents that have now happened because people are on their cell phones, texting or whatever. It's a whole new level of distraction. Now listen, I don't want to start this by not saying I'm pointing all ten fingers at me. I am not here to say I'm against technology. I'm not here to say I'm anti-technology. Look around you. 
I have a cell phone. I have a Mac. In fact, I'm a full-on member of the cult that is Apple. Okay? I've got the Apple iPhone and the Apple iPad and the MacBook Pro, and I still have a bunch of stuff I don't get done. So this is not an anti-message. Technology is usually created with the intention of making life better. That's usually the purest of the motives. However, all technology carries the possibility of both blessing or cursing. Because it exists as a tool, but it's used by fallen people in a fallen world. It's funny, when I was growing up, my dad always had a thing about tools, power tools. I wanted to use power tools. I, I loved having things that could do irreparable damage to everything in my hands. And, and every time I would ask dad if I could use something that you had to plug in or turn on and it made loud, loud noises, dad would always sit me down and have this responsibility of this tool in your hand talk. And I thought it was the most boring conversation ever. And then I had kids and I became my father. Having those conversations with my children about using tools and the importance of using a tool properly. The importance of understanding the power of a tool. We stand a good chance sometimes if we don't know how to use tools properly of harming others, hurting ourselves, or failing to actually maximize the tremendous good of that particular tool. So last week I challenged us. It was a very kind of downer sermon. It was a whole list of don'ts. I gave you eight don'ts. Okay, so I'm going to review them here. If This is how you are not to use as a Christian social media. Number one, don't use social media as your outlet to vent and complain about others, life, or even government. Social media is not your place to just get it all off your chest. As Christians... We have somewhere to go to get everything off our chest, don't we? In prayer to our Savior. We have that. We have community together. So don't go to social media just to, to air something out for everybody to see as if your opinion was never ever thought of and you were the first original one to think of it. Number two, don't measure your worth or get your identity by it. Don't find that the size of your Facebook account or the amount of Twitter followers you have or how many people want to read your text or go to your blog means that that defines you as a human being. It doesn't. You know what defines you as a human being? You're a creation of God. If you trust in Jesus, you are adopted as His son or His daughter. That's your identity. Rest in that. Number three, don't value internet friendships more than real-world friendships. Don't think that your virtual life is real. It's not. I would rather you... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, t dealing with this whole thing of tongues and stuff, he says, I'd rather speak 10,000... Um, I'd rather you uh, uh, speak four words of English, basically, than 10,000 words of tongues. I'd rather you have one or two or three really good friends in life than have a 1,000 Facebook friends. That's what God is saying in His Word. Don't be someone online that you are not in person. Don't be someone online that you're not in person. Don't have two identities. There's the real you, and then there's the made-up you of the Internet. Number four, don't use so social media to hurt or favor others. Be careful how you broadcast your friendships, how you do certain things on social media. Number uh, six, six, don't allow the internet to make you a distracted person. 
don't get so wrapped up that the only way you can focus is if your head is in something that glares back at you. Okay? Number seven, don't let it take you from your ministry, from your calling, your work, or your relationships. I say this to all of you. If you've got a best friend and the way you talk to your best friend most is through Facebook Messenger, then your friendship's hurting. If you have a spouse and the way you talk, you talk more through text than you do actually in person, your, your marriage is hurting. Don't do that. Number, uh, finally, don't allow social media to get you thinking about yourself more than you already do. Social media will make you think about yourself. It's designed to do it. So don't feed in, don't allow this technology to feed your human nature to want to be more about yourself. Now, I want to be sure again, as I said, that uh, I'm not against technology. I'm not against technology. But I am for bang 1 Corinthians 10.31. We talked about that as a music team before we came out of here. When I say the word worship, what do you think? Many of you, and the way we do things, when we say the word worship, we think only of singing. We think that we came to church and the worship was really good. And when you ask them, they meant that the song time was really good. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we don't just worship when we sing. When you guys got up out of bed and you cleaned yourselves up and you made the decision to come to church, did you do so to glorify God? If you did, that's an act of worship. If you gave your offering and you gave it as a cheerful giver and you said, Lord, you've given me everything and I just give it back to you, that's an act of worship. When we're all bonded together in prayer and we listened and we didn't float off and wonder what we were going to have for lunch and we didn't think about what we were going to do this week, but we listened to the people praying and we engaged in prayer, that's an act of worship. When we sang, if we sang with one voice and one, that was an act of worship. As you listen to me now, not to me, but to me as I proclaim God's word, that's an act of worship. So I want you to understand that we can use technology in a God-glorifying, worshipful way to promote the gospel. And that's the do part of this sermon as we come to the table of the Lord. And I want to suggest to you six ways to use social media to love God and others. And I want to finish up then with some practical applications. All right, so stick with me. These six are not unique to me, these six things that I'm going to give you now. Uh, a dear pastor friend, his name is Justin Buzzard, and I'm sure he got teased a lot with a last name like that, but he is a pastor, and his name was Justin Buzzard, and he was the one that came up with six ways to use the internet or social media and networking sites to love God and others. And so I want to run through them with you. Number one, after these eight don'ts, here are your do's, okay? Do this. Use social media to get back in touch with faraway friends, showing them how Jesus has changed you. So you can use that technology. You can use Twitter or Facebook or texting or email and all these things to connect with friends from your past, but you can then allow them to find out how you've changed in your life, how you've really changed, or if you've been a Christian younger in life, how you are still faithful to what God called you to early in life. Show your old high school friends how God has saved you or kept you, not only for a relationship status on your Facebook bar, but in real life. 
You can use social media to live out the gospel by how you post and talk on Facebook and Twitter and all these things for others to see. Number two, use social media as an extension of face-to-face relationships and to enhance time with people. So it doesn't become the basis of your friendship. It's an extension of your friendship. So you can use social media to get to know people. So you can love and care for them better. The first place I heard about Ryan Stapleton, a new member of our church, that he got a job was via Facebook. His wife Facebook messaged me instantly after his interview and said, praise the Lord, Aaron got the, or Ryan got his, got his job. And I was able to rejoice instantly and couldn't wait to see him, using it as an extension. But I didn't just stay there. If all I do is know he got the job through Facebook and I never talked to him about it, that's not using it right. This is a way to use technology to be God-glorifying. Number three, use social media to take the focus off of yourself. Don't get into it so that it puts focus on yourself. Get it off yourself. See, Facebook can actually help you. Twitter can. All these things. Get outside of yourself and your problems. Realize how many other people are in the world. Realize that on any given time, when you think you have it rough, somebody does have it rougher. Any scan of of social media will let you know we need to pray. We need to pray for people that are hurting. We need to pray for people that are going without. And I also say this, um, you know, you can use social media to creatively uh, listen to and love and encourage others, but don't be just a voyeur. Um, too many of you have friends on Facebook, me included, and if you have friends on Facebook that you have no contact with, or you have Twitter followers that you have no interaction with, and all you do is find yourself going to their feed and simply looking at what they do, but you have no interaction, really all you are is a creepy voyeur. You're just nosing around in a place where you don't have any interaction with anybody, trying to find out what they're doing, and often you get one dimension of it, and you make snap decisions about what they're like or if they're uh, friendly or selfish or if they've got a good marriage or if they're good parents and you're seeing it based on a photograph. And I know that it says a photograph is worth a thousand words but they got to be the right words. And my father taught me one day, took me to this place where he showed me photographs and then you you were asked to tell, tell what you see and then the camera pans out and then you actually see how much of the picture you didn't see and what that looked like. So make sure that when you take it off yourself, you're not just being voyeuristic in your social media. Approach social media thinking about what you can give, about what you can do. So if you have friends and you see something going on in their life, contact them, make a comment, interact with them, create friendship. Use it to glorify God. Number four, use social media to sharpen and discipline what you do with your time. Social media can be a great place to find some accountability. So for instance, um, I want to read 50 pages a day of stuff, good books, uh, for at least 300 days of this year. The fact that I tell you, if I put that on on Facebook, I've got some friends that I've asked to get into my life to ask me, hey, Steve, did you run your mouth or are you actually doing it? How are you doing with that? If you want to say, I want to read through the Bible in 2016. Okay, put that out on Facebook. Ask for people to pray for you and ask for people to hold you accountable. Use it as a way to build in discipline to your time. Take advantage of this 
technology. Approach some friends that maybe you have that will pray for you. Give them permission to hold you accountable. So if you're going off and for months and months and months there's nothing about the Bible, someone sends you a little note and says, hey, how you doing with reading through the Bible this year? And there's a way to be held accountable. Number five, use social media to quickly announce and facilitate great face-to-face gatherings. It's a great tool when you can, we have it here in our church. We send out an email blast every week. We have Facebook groups for all of our life groups and we have a church open group and a church closed group. It's where we can make these things all out. But now let me qualify this one because it's easier to put out a Facebook notice, say, hey, everybody come to my place. Then sometimes it might take 45 minutes to call 10 people. However, if you're finding you're putting stuff out and nobody's responding, Now you need to call them. Now you need to have coffee. Now you need to find out why. If people don't respond, then either they don't think you're serious or they've grown accustomed to seeing you put it out there and they don't know if it's urgent or how really badly you want to get together. And sometimes we lose the art. We think, and we kind of salve our conscience. Well, I invited a bunch of people. I put it out on Facebook or I tweeted it out and nobody came. Well, does anybody really know how bad you want them there. If I really want to spend time with someone, I want to tell you how really bad I want to spend time with you. And so let's make sure we do that. Paul said in Ephesians that we must redeem the time because the days are evil and aspects of social media provide a way for us to get out information quickly. Brother Steve Dahl tells me that our little church here in St. John's, Newfoundland, our little website averages almost 30 hits per day from around the world. That's an awesome use of technology. And I have found out from people all over the world that they go to our website and click in on things and listen to sermons and find out what's happening. And it's used, that's been used for new people to find our church. That's wonderful. Finally, number six, use social media to influence other people for Jesus. Isn't that the obvious one? Use social media, create a new culture with your status updates. Use them to love and encourage and teach and challenge people. I I love this. Um, Debbie once, this was a few years ago, she was reading a book by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. Great book, I highly recommend it. And she was posting different quotes from it as she was reading through it and talking about how much it was encouraging her. And one of our mutual old high school friends uh, noticed Debbie's particular update and it triggered him to respond to her. And I might add, not in a kind way. He responded back how he had turned his back on God, even claiming to be an atheist. And he was very, very bitter against the church, against Christ and all the ways he felt he had been mistreated. And I was so proud of Debbie. Because instead of getting defensive or anything like that, she opened, uh, God opened up this door and Debbie conversed with him. And I love this. She apologized to him for the brand of Christianity that he had seen. She told him how God had changed her and how, how, how he'd been um, very real in her life. And since that up status update, Debbie and this friend that we share have had several fruitful conversations He was very combative at first, but he softened considerably, even writing back to apologize for how aggressively he went after her in the beginning. That's redeeming technology. Now, you might say, all right, Pastor Steve, great prayer benediction. Let's go to the Lord's table. That's all been really good. You've told us what not to do. You've told us what to do. So what? What's the big deal anyway? What's the theory? Or the theory of this is great. Don't do that. Do do this. 
But how does one accomplish this every day in everyday practical life? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Christian life is not abstract. It's not theoretical. It's real. God wants us to be real people in real life dealing with real things. And God's Word gives us everything we need to handle the situations of life. And that's why I want it your finger in Proverbs. So now practically, I've given you the eight don'ts, given you the six do's. Now I want to give you a series of hows. How, how do I know if I'm not or doing it right, okay? Uh, this is really practical, and believe me, I got somewhere I'm going that, that ends here, okay? Number one, which should be obvious, think before you post. Think before you post. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 20, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now soak that in. How many arguments could be avoided? How many relationships saved if people were only a little less hasty with their words? Before posting that article, that, that update on sta- that status update on Facebook, before tweeting out that it's always a good idea, reread what you've written and consider, are these words accurate? Do they accurately express your feelings? And if expressing such feelings is necessary and edifying, maybe instead of sending it out into internet world, you're better off to pray what you wrote. I cannot tell you how many times. Steve Don knows this. I've called Steve Don once or twice in my office when I was in Charlottetown. Someone had said something, someone had done something, and someone had posted something. And man, I wrote out, and man, it was venomous. And I brought Steve in. I said, Steve, I'm about to send this. And I would read it, and Steve would look at me and go, you really want to send that? And then I read it again, and I'd say, you know what? Yeah, better for me to take this to the Lord in prayer. Because as the old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. So think before you post. Because once you hit send, you can't get it back. It's out there. It's out there. Number two, know when to respond and when not to. Now, let me give you this from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 and 5. These were verses when I was the girl's age here in the front row. I always would read these verses and I would always fumble over these. Solomon says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Then verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And I was like, Solomon, make up your mind. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to tell him something or not tell him something? What you need to realize, these are not contradictions. Solomon is pointing out how to use wisdom. How to use wisdom. There are times when it is best to leave a foolish person to his or her own devices rather than to try and change them, especially via the internet. Folks, I post stuff and tweet stuff every day. And I have friends and acquaintances that follow me and some that are not walking with God. And sometimes I'll post something and someone will say something on there and it is pure poison. And all they're looking for is a fight. And I have no shame in telling you, I will remove that post from my Facebook feed. I will hit ignore on my Twitter or whatever it is. And if I think it's really serious, I'll phone them or I'll engage them privately. But sometimes I just ignore them because there's no winning. All they want to do is pick a fight. Okay, so you need to know that. However, there are times when folly must be exposed. 
either if the fool is one you believe is honestly seeking after wisdom. So I have friends that very sincerely and passionately will post an article or make a statement or quote a verse and offer what they mean. And I won't get on there and go, you moron, that's wrong. No, I might say, you know, that's awesome that you put that out there, but you might, have, might add this or maybe think about this or maybe you should check this out as well. And often that person gets back to me and says, thanks for that, I didn't know that. So you got to know how to use wisdom. And it's okay to just ignore. And when you do engage, do so nicely. As Christians, patiently. Okay? Paul talks about this in Ephesians, and he did this with Peter himself in Galatians. Number three, know when to walk away or hit ignore. I really thought about having the Kenny Rogers song about poker break out here in church. You got to know when to fold them, know when to hold them, know when to walk away, know when to run, right? You got to know when to do this. Proverbs 29, 9 says, If a man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. This is Solomon. There are times when you need to walk away instead of carrying on an argument. Foolish people have no real desire to learn or be wise. Instead, they only seek opportunities to loudly proclaim their folly. There's a reason why certain cliches exist. There are none so blind as those who don't want to see. We're going to see that in a second as we come to the table of the Lord in 2 Corinthians. My father used to say that, he'd say, Stephen, you've adopted this attitude. Don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. That, that lives in internet world. It lives there. And so we've got to know when to walk away or hit ignore. And may I say for free, there's likely almost never a reason for you to comment on anything. Because you're just getting dragged in to something that usually is a vortex and a black hole of argument that never resolves itself. It really is. Number four. This is my new finis. Be careful what you read and mind your own business. Be careful what you read and mind your own business. Luke chapter 26 verse 8 says, Like one who binds the stone in the sling is the one who gives honor to a fool. You know what David is saying there? A sling. He's talking about a slingshot, okay? And you would put a stone in it, and the idea is you put it in to twirl it around and let it go. It would be moronic to glue it in there, right? So he says this is what he means. Like one who binds a stone in the sling is the one who gives honor to a fool, okay? Verse 17 says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. How many of you have done that? Now, I'm petrified of dogs, all right? I won't take a dog, I wouldn't take a toy poodle by the ears, let alone a, a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd, especially one that you don't know. We have to be careful with words you read and whose wisdom you trust. Foolish men and women may seem wise, but they, are still, but they still will still lead others astray. And folks, listen, with all due respect, including to myself, any fool can have a website, any fool can have a Facebook account. Anyone can say that they know everything about everything, and that doesn't mean they know a thing. And we need to realize that. John told us in the Gospel of John to test the spirits to see if they be of God. And if you give honor to a foolish person by reading and soaking in their words, you are a foolish person who binds that stone in a sling. And as to verse 17, again, I don't know about you, but I have seen people grab dogs by the ears, and I've not one that's seen one that went, yeah, I really liked it. 
They like to be scratched behind the ear, maybe tickled, but not grabbed by the ears. So in other words, stay out of other people's fights than wading into them as if they're your own. If you see two people going at it on Facebook, that doesn't mean you've got to get involved, especially publicly. All right? You've got to learn how to do that. Number five, stay away from all gossip, and that's capitalized on purpose. I don't know if Steve did that or not, but it's all capitalized on purpose. And don't be a troublemaker. Proverbs 26, 22 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner, inner parts of the body. Now soak that in. This And folks, listen, this is only one verse in your Bible of literally hundreds that you can use about gossip. All right? There are many websites, blogs, Twitter accounts dedicated almost entirely to gossip to sharing what is dishonorable rather than what is noble. And we need to avoid these things. We need to avoid these types of people and their gossip. And I linked gossip with troublemaking because if you indulge in the one, you'll become the other. Solomon says gossip is like delicious morsels. When someone comes to you and says, do you know what I know about so-and-so? No, tell me. And then you've played it because we've done it with kids. This is, How many of you ever grew up playing that game Telephone? Did you ever play that? Put your hands up really high. Come on. Yeah, right. Where you, you get a line of people. We did this in youth group a lot, right? Where you get people in a big circle and someone starts at one end and whispers something in the ear of the next person and then they got to whisper it into the ear of the next. And you go all the way to the end and the end person has to stand up and say what they were told. And near the two were ever the same. But how often do we do this in life? Someone tells you a little juicy tidbit about someone. And what do you do? Then you feel the need to go. And we mask it in our spiritual jargon. I want you to pray for sister so-and-so. Why? Because I found out, man, our marriage is struggling. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her husband's a real dirtbag. Now, nobody told you about the husband, the first one. But now you've added that. So then that person goes, oh, I need you to pray for so-and-so. Oh, yeah, she's got a dirtbag of a husband. He beats her. And before you know it, the guy's guilty of murder. And this happens every single day in the world. And church, it happens too often here. Here. So listen, be, be, be careful of these things. Stay away from all gossip. Remember, uh, again, Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Those who exist only to bring trouble to others will pay a price. Always. Number six, think about why you write and be humble. Think about what you're doing. Proverbs says this, and Solomon said this, lady, so don't get angry with me. Proverbs 27, 15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. It's, it's the word of God. Don't take it up with me. Okay? Now, this speaks of a quarrelsome wife, but it could easily apply to anyone. All right, and there are other verses in there as well. It basically means if you're only writing something, if you've got an online presence where you're simply looking to be quarrelsome or because you enjoy a good argument, that's not Christian. All right, in the movie Braveheart about William Wallace, that Scottish chief, uh, there's a very famous part where the English army is on one side, the Scottish army is on the other, and he's there with all of his leaders, and, he, and he's looking to them, and he, and he gets on his horse, and one of his buddies says, you know, William, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to pick a fight. And too many of us are on the Internet looking to pick a fight. We're just looking to get quarrelsome. We're looking to pick a fight with someone. 
Proverbs 26, 21 says this, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Now soak that in. If you've got a barbecue and it's well going and then you put fresh coals on, what happens? More heat, flash. The thing gets more intense. You've got a fire and it's growing low. What do you do? You add wood to it and what happens? The fire flames up. More intensity, more heat. Proverbs is saying, if you get involved in stuff that's not your business or you start uh, writing about things and not doing it, you are setting off more and more strife. And that is not Christian. Do not be the kind of person who kindles strife for your own enjoyment. You realize, right? When you pick fights as husbands and wives, as families, as a church, as Christians, and we do so publicly on the internet, that in Proverbs chapter 6, God says He hates it. There's not a lot of things in the Bible that it says God hates, but this is one of them. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's a list of seven things that God hates. In verse 19 of Proverbs 6, it says, A false witness that breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That's something God hates. The way you offset this is to be humble. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own words, a stranger and not your own lips. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So let somebody else praise you. Don't brag about yourself. If you ever receive praise, or you never, sorry, if you never receive praise from anybody, especially from those who are wise, it may be a good time to examine your heart and examine why you're not walking in the ways of wisdom. And let me also give a little warning about compliments, all right? I love this. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He writes about writing something very early in his, in, his, in his writing career and it got out in his neighborhood and he went to the local shop and he was there with his dad and people were reading it. It was in a local little newspaper type thing and people all in the shop were telling C.S. Lewis what a great writer he was and how wonderful it was and he was really enjoying it and he's, you know, people were saying to his dad, you must be proud of your son and all this kind of, and it was wonderful and they get in the outside and they get together and dad stops him and he, he basically is paraphrasing a little but he says to his son he goes compliments are like perfume take a whiff but never swallow it and we need to be careful as that as christians i found this this week as i've been getting ready to uh do these radio broadcasts i was sharing with the guys i've been very stressed over this in all honesty i've been anxious for something not nothing all right, as I've been trying to get this together and I was talking to the guys about it and I called certain people and I called friends and I called the station manager of the radio station out in British Columbia and said, I didn't know if I should follow through with this. And so she got one of my sermons and she read it and she called me back and she was telling me how awesome it was and how great. And as I'm I'm on the phone, yes, I am that great. Yeah, yeah, tell me, what was I stressed about? I know how to throw it down. And I just realized, I'm looking out out the window and I'm like, Steve, you selfish little imp. You were looking for encouragement. Now you think you're owed it in a blink. So be careful, even with compliments. Finally, be careful what you teach. And if you do teach, you better walk with the Lord with it. This is practical. Solomon said in Proverbs 28.10, Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit. And the blameless will have a godly inheritance. 
I want you to think about that. Those, if you choose to say, I'm going to be an authority, I'm going to get on Facebook, I'm going to get on Twitter, I'm going to have a website, I'm going to have a blog, I'm going to tell the world what is right and true, you better realize that's a grave responsibility. Because people will read this, and without ever thinking often, they'll think what you tell them is truth, so it better be. And are you living it out? Be careful what you teach, what you share, what your beliefs are. Remember that your words are public and they may remain available forever. So be careful. Be humble about this. James and 1 Timothy. We learned this in 1 Timothy, right? 1 Timothy 1.7. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And let me be very practical with you about this. Back a number of years ago, before I ever came to this ministry, I had my ordination. And I had to write out my doctrinal thesis of all the major beliefs of the Bible. And then I had to stand before a group of people, which almost numbered what's here. It filled up two whole areas like this, and there was about 15 or 20 men there that then signed off. But a whole bunch of people, about between 60 and 80 people gathered. And any one of them could take my doctrinal statement, ask me any question, or make me defend my position. One of the questions was, they quizzed me on my position on divorce and remarriage. Now, it would have been easier to say, listen, I've studied this. I was 20-something years old. The right answer was, listen, this is my position as I have studied it to this point. There are many positions. I know good people that hold some different positions. Based on my schooling, based on what I've studied thus far, based on my experience, this is where I'm comfortable being right now. But I have to be honest and say, I haven't studied this out completely and I still have work to do. And the truth is, the position I articulated at 29 is not the position I hold at 44. And so we got to be careful. Don't get out on Facebook and on Twitter and on social media and throw it down like there's absolutely... Listen, again, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 are the essentials of the faith. You can be all the confidence that you want on that, but then after that, be careful. I know there's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one hope, one resurrection unto life. That I know. Everything else, be humble. Be careful. And here's the key, right? Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, not some of them, not most of them, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Psalm 1, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord and in His law He meditates day and night. So arm yourself with spiritual maturity, with true wisdom before venturing into the world of social media. Now, let me bring this whole thing into the station. This is the last Sunday of February 2016. It's the only one you get. It's the only Sunday of the 28th of February 2016 you're going to get. This one and only. And then it'll be gone. We're here to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remember the Lord's birth, His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And we are challenged by the sacrifice of the Godhead. God the Father gave up His one and only Son. Jesus Christ in Philippians 2 gave up His Godship and His throne, ultimately His life. 
The Holy Spirit submitted and surrendered the unity of the Trinity to do what? To provide us with salvation, to make us truly free. We are now free to worship and free to proclaim. Church, listen, Jesus saves. Amen? Amen. Well, that wasn't bad. You all kind of got into that one. That's not bad. Yet how many of us can truly say we've not only remembered the Lord's death, but we're acting on it. We're doing something about it. How are we remembering the gospel today? Can I ask you, what does this table represent to you really? What does it mean? When you stop right now and think about what is displayed here, where does your mind travel? Where does your heart go? What causes you to come here and participate in this table today? What makes you feel you're worthy to participate in the Lord's table today? Amen. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, as we do this and go to the table of the Lord. I want to read these verses, okay? There's great strength in reading God's Word. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And we're going to come to the table of the Lord. Paul is writing. This is his fourth letter to the Corinthians. It's, although it's the second one in your Bible, or as Donald Trump says, 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians. Uh, but it's actually his fourth letter. He writes four letters to the Corinthians. Two of them are inspired. Two of them are not. This is his fourth one. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, notice this, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Well, what's, he, what's the temptation or potential of losing heart over? He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Two things that are often done on social media. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now notice how personal and how confident he gets. He goes, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if people don't get it, even if people don't understand it, even if people make fun of it, even if people don't accept it, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Like, understand what's happening. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's what Brother John read in Hebrews chapter 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not preaching my own opinions here, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he sums it up with this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, Paul's saying, I know I'm not perfect. I live in a broken body. We're not perfect. So in light of what we've talked about for the last two weeks, the do's and the don'ts of social media and all of the things we've gathered today And let me end with the basics. Here's what this table means. Here's how the do's and the don'ts and the application of social media, all of it comes together. So, church, this coming week, this afternoon, tonight, whether you're in the backyard 
or you're at school, or you're at work, maybe you're having lunch, you're on the phone, you're surfing Facebook, you're doing your Twitter thing, you're texting a message, you're on your Skype, you're creating a blog, you're going on an airplane, or a hundred other ordinary conversations. What does this all mean? We're ending with personal evangelism. Personal evangelism, an old-fashioned commitment in new contexts for the sake of people getting saved in our lives. How do you redeem social media? Use it to get the gospel out. How do you protect yourself from using social media wrongly? Only use it to get the gospel out. Be about Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1-7, notice it started off with our status without Christ. Verse 4 again, right? People who don't believe in Christ are blinded. They can't see Christ as supremely valuable, so they won't receive of Him as their treasure. And you've experienced this. Have you not talked to somebody, shared them the gospel, and they look at you and go, well, I'm glad that's good for you, but it makes no sense to me. And you're sitting there or you're standing there going, I don't get it. I see it. Why can't you see it? That's your answer right there. So a God... A work of God is needed in their lives to open their eyes and give them light and life so they can see and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and the treasure of their lives. But we also see our new birth. Look at verse 6. It says, God has shone light in our hearts. Do you know why you understand the gospel? It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you're gooder. It's not because of your upbringing. It's because God was merciful to you, a sinner. That's why. Does this table tell you that? Does it encourage you in this? He causes the human heart to see the truth and the beauty and worth of Christ. See, John 1.12 says, And as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the children of God. So, what should our desires be? We want the light to shine in their hearts so they see and receive Christ. We want them to know God and to believe. Okay, so how does that happen? Is that what you want? Is that what I want? Is that what we want as a church? Do we want people to get saved in this city? Amen. Okay, so how do we make this happen? By all just having really good worship times here? By reading good books in our homes? By getting on Facebook and just blabbing about everything that we're reading and knowing and, you know, just articulating and meticulating about everything we believe in? Or what about sharing the gospel? Actually telling people about Jesus. And listen, you might say, but, but Pastor Steve, I can't. Now you're getting it. You can't, but God can. God saves us to use us to save others. Isn't Jesus more than amazing? He really is. Paul's role, our role, is to proclaim Christ from a heart of love and a life of service. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only because to, only to those who are perishing. But he says, it's the gospel that spiritually blinded people can't see and spiritually deaf people can't hear. So our answer to the question, what should we do to help people know God, is tell them the good news of Christ from a heart of love and a life of service. This is how we celebrate the gospel today. Paul, God told Paul in Acts 26, 17, I am sending you to open their eyes. Now get that. To the Corinthians, he says, their eyes are dark and there's a veil. But then he says, but God told me, I'm sending you to open their eyes. 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Listen, folks, the point's not hard to see. God opens the eyes of the blind to see the truth. And that's why we need to find ourselves praying more and more, Lord, fill our church with a passion to open the eyes of the blind. Are we brokenhearted for this city? For this province? We need to start asking the Lord, Lord, fill us with a passion to do what God uses to bring about the new birth of people. See, we need to say, Lord, send us to open eyes. Don't stop because you can't. Of course you can't. You can't do it. But the fact that you can't make electricity or create light never stops you from flipping light switches. The fact that you don't know how to create fire in, in cylinders never stops any of you from going out and turning the car key and expecting it to start. The fact that you can't create cell tissue never stops you from uh, just a few minutes from now eating food. But you do it anyway. So don't let the fact that you can't cause people to get saved stop you from telling people how to get saved because Jesus will do the work. We've got to proclaim it. We've got to proclaim it. That's what Paul means when he says, and you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let's celebrate this. This is our freedom. But then let's do something with our freedom. Let's respond to the freedom that God has given us.